0: Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, and today our topic is the winner of this year's Unbreak Your Health Award for Best Alternative Health Book at Reader Views. The book is An Alphabet of Good Health in a Sick World by Dr. Martha Grout and Mary Buttinger. My guest is Dr. Grout. Vice President of the Arizona Board of Homeopathic and Integrated Medicine Examiners and a member of the Advisory Board of the American Academy of Environmental Medicine. After three decades in emergency medicine, she decided to go into homeopathic medicine. And ten years later, she has her own clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, which I might add is built with environmentally friendly materials. Recently, the American Academy of Pediatricians condemned the 1976 law that relies on the chemical companies to report any suspected health problems with their products Do you think that's because children are more sensitive to chemicals and pollutants?
1: Children clearly are more sensitive simply because by weight they are exposed to larger amounts. uh, You know, per pound of of kid, they're exposed to larger amounts than adults. I really applaud the American Academy of Pediatrics for coming out with that condemnation. It's been a long time in the making.
0: Dr. Grout, I have to ask one big question because it seems like it's in the news regularly. Why has cancer changed from being something very rare in our society to something being very commonplace today?
1: You know, my suspicion is that better living through chemistry has really backfired. So many of the chemicals that are in very common use have never been tested over the long term. They may have been tested over the short term in animals, but certainly not over the long term. We are exposed to more chemicals now than ever, ever, ever in the history of humankind. And one can only suspect that the levels of cancer have at least something to do with this huge amount of chemical assault that we're experiencing.
0: There are so many different kinds of cancer therapy. One that I noticed that was in your book is called IPT, and it's a very standardized form of cancer therapy in Europe, but it's pretty much ignored in this country. Why is that? And what is that?
1: Insulin potentiation therapy, the proof of concept is that cancer cells almost universally have many more insulin or insulin-like growth factor receptors on their cell surface. The reason for this is that they require very large amounts of glucose. Cancer cells, again, universally are not able to metabolize glucose. They're not able to use the sugar in our blood effectively. They can only use it in a process that's called anaerobic so they only get two molecules of ATP which is the energy unit that the cell uses instead of what other cells get which is 36 molecules of ATP so clearly they need lots and lots and lots of glucose and if we can as it were open up the cell wall open up the cellular metabolism by using insulin we can sneak in not only glucose, but we can also sneak in chemotherapeutic agents in much higher concentration than would be possible through simply giving the chemotherapeutic agent intravenously the way it's done in standard chemotherapy. This proof of concept has actually been shown. I have at least two or three articles of that have to do with cell cultures and measurement of chemotherapeutic agents inside the cell under the influence of insulin and without the insulin. The agent is concentrated 10,000-fold inside the cell under the influence of insulin. So it seems like a no-brainer that it would be a really good way to treat cancer.
0: You would think, but you would also see people using much less chemotherapy, wouldn't you?
1: Huge amounts less, yes. We use perhaps 10%, occasionally 15%, sometimes 5% of the dose of the agents.
0: We were talking about the amount of chemicals in our environment today. How many obesogens or obesity-causing chemicals do you think are in the environment right now?
1: Oh, anything that has to do with estrogen metabolism. So BPH and all of those chemicals that are used in plastics There are many, many of them. And, you know, we see the effect in the frogs because in the frog population, it is sometimes difficult to tell whether a frog is male or female, and that is because they are exposed to these estrogenic chemicals. We're seeing the same thing in our infant children, in our infant males.
0: There was a term in your book that I loved. Can you explain what you mean by electrosmog?
1: Well, if you think of Los Angeles or even Phoenix, where I live, you look across the horizon and you see a cloud of brown, which is essentially a combination of dust and hydrocarbon chemicals from from cars, largely from vehicles but also from industry, trapped in the atmosphere above a city. The same kind of thing can happen with electromagnetic waves. And so we have cell towers and radio towers and a myriad of pieces of electronic equipment, uh, wireless telephones, computers, monitors, radios, all of which produce electromagnetic waves because that's how they communicate with each other. And unfortunately, these electromagnetic waves oftentimes will affect the human theology in ways that are very difficult to measure. They don't necessarily affect everyone. There are many people who can walk through these myriad of electromagnetic waves and not have any effect whatsoever. Uh, There are some people who cannot. One of the things that has been shown is that some diabetics when they are exposed to electromagnetic frequencies in even a standard physician's office, have higher measurements of blood glucose and higher blood pressures than they do if not so exposed. It's really quite remarkable how sensitive an antenna the human body is.
0: Do you find it strange that countries like France and Germany are dismantling their wireless networks in schools and libraries while we're very busily putting cell towers right on our schools?
1: Yeah, it's pretty typical, unfortunately, of our country. We seem to believe that if harm has not been shown, therefore it must be safe, where in Europe they do appear to believe the opposite until safety has been demonstrated. We should probably assume that something may be harmful and we should test it.
0: Is the current drug therapy for ADHD really just an expensive short-term fix?
1: In my mind, yes. Certain people for whom the drug therapy works actually extremely well in the short term. In the brain, there is a place in the midbrain at the base of the brain where an area of communication between nerves occurs. It's called the reticular activating system. Some people do not have sufficiently good control over their nervous system to be able to turn off stimuli. And that's the thing that the reticular activating system does. It enables you to turn off extraneous stimuli, okay, things that you don't want to pay attention to, so that you can pay attention to just the specific things that you're looking at. And if you can't do that, then you're distracted. You know, that's the kid who says... uh oh, let's see, 2 plus 2 equals, oh, look at that bunny running down the street.
0: (laughs) Or anything else within sight. Yeah,
1: whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that they intend to be awful. You know, they just don't have the ability to focus. And so for those kids, the methamphetamines work very well. They enable the children to turn off those extraneous stimuli and focus. Now, there are other kids for whom that's not the issue at all. Other children, the nerves simply don't work well. They may not have good auditory processing, so it may be that they can listen to one person talk, no problem, but as soon as they get into a situation where lots of people are talking, they can't focus in on the one who's talking, and so they hear everyone and every stimulus with equal loudness. Same idea as the visual stimulus. And indeed, The methamphetamines certainly can, in the long run, predispose one to heart disease, to easier addiction to other drugs. And I'm not saying that they cause it, but they are extremely addictive. And in some people, this is simply a disaster.
0: If you're enjoying this free podcast, then you're going to love my book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies, featuring 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. Paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions are available on Amazon.com or from your local bookstore. Chronic inflammation is behind many of our illnesses today, isn't it?
1: It certainly is. It's a little like trying to drive the car with the brakes on just a little bit so that you can see the brake lights, but you don't actually feel the drag. There is, in fact, somewhat of a drag when you do that. The engine wears out eventually sooner than it would have normally. The brakes wear out. Same thing with chronic inflammation in the body. It creates a state of high alert in the body. And we know that when we're under very high alert, that's really important if there's a situation that requires it. Uh, The lion is running toward us. Well, we better get good and ready to run or climb a tree or haul out our gun or something. But we had better be really wide awake. But if we try to live like that 24 hours a day, pretty soon we're going to start to wear out. And I think that we're seeing that in many of our patients, many of the people that come to see me. They've just been under high alert for so long, inflamed because of the foods that they're eating, the lifestyle that they're living, the drugs that they're taking, that, you know, they just start to wear out early.
0: Speaking of your patients, why do so many folks with chronic illnesses come to see you?
1: Actually, it's very interesting. I have a free 15-minute phone consultation that I do before I ever see a patient because, you know, they come to me, they spend a good deal of money, and we all want to make sure that they're going to get what they need and that we can work together. And I'll never forget the man who after 10 minutes said to me, "Do you know, in this free phone consult, you have listened to me more than all of my docs combined in the last 20 years. And I thought, wow, how sad is that? That we can't take the time to listen to our patients. I think that's probably the biggest reason that people come to me. They get really tired of walking in and, you know, spending two minutes with somebody and then being given a prescription for some kind of drug that's supposed to fix the symptoms that they have. It's really sad because of the way allopathic medicine is currently set up, people can only come in and talk about one problem. And if they have another problem, they have to make another appointment to talk about the other problem. I don't know that it's necessarily a conscious way, but it certainly results in fragmentation of the visit, the physician-patient relationship, and the whole treatment. And I don't think that's conducive to health.
0: What is green medicine?
1: I would say that green medicine is the kind of medicine that is practiced by the homeopathic and integrated medicine community in the state of Arizona. It is sustainable medicine, the kind of medicine that enables us to grow and develop and get healthy through strengthening our own body's mechanisms. Now, clearly, there are times when the body is not strong enough to heal by itself. And at those times, we require extraordinary forces, pharmaceuticals, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. There are simply times when those are required. But overall, green medicine involves strengthening and supporting the body Diagnosing where the big major potholes are in nutritional status, filling in those potholes so that then the body itself can take over with its own normal regulatory mechanisms and start working the way it was intended to work in the beginning.
0: So much of our health obviously depends on diet, but... There's so many misconceptions. I mean, we're programmed almost daily that osteoporosis is the result of a calcium deficiency, but that's not really the whole story, is it?
1: Not really. Osteoporosis is a long-term consequence of chronic inflammation. And so if there's been an inflammatory state through food sensitivity or allergies or simply high-stress lifestyle, abnormal bacteria in the gut, chronic use of antibiotics, chronic exposure, and high high body burden of heavy metals. I mean, there's so many things that can be inflammatory. And all of those can result in the final result of osteoporosis if that's where the individual is susceptible. In Another individual, those exact same factors may result in heart disease or stroke, or leukemia. It all depends on where we're susceptible.
0: Our so-called civilized diet today actually has made many people pre-diabetic, hasn't it?
1: It depends on uh, your definition of civilized. If you mean the standard American diet,
0: that would be a generous <laughs> description of it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> is indeed sad. You know, if you look at the acronym standard American diet, it's very very sad. It tends to be very high in carbohydrate, uh, which is relatively inexpensive and relatively addictive and is certainly uh, recommended in the food pyramid, it's very sad because it so predisposes us to putting out large amounts of insulin in order to deal with these carbohydrates and eventually the body fatigues. And so we see huge numbers of people who are pre-diabetic. In other words, if you measure their blood sugar, it's over 100, but less than 126 fasting. If we had measured those people 10 years ago, we might perhaps have caught them where their blood sugar was actually under 100, so we couldn't have called them pre-diabetic. But had we checked their fasting insulin, we might have found that their fasting insulin has just skyrocketed. We could have done something at that point to prevent the onset or the development of diabetes,
0: Dr. Grout, what are some of the other ways that we can live a healthier life today?
1: One way probably is to realize that we only have control over our own behavior. We have no control over anybody else's behavior as much as we would like to think that we do, and so the only person whose behavior I can modify is mine, so if I really dislike the idea of genetically modified foods. I don't have any control over the, the boards of the companies that make the foods. I, really, I don't have any control over the FDA, uh, which allows the foods. The only control I have is over whether I purchase the foods. And so to me, my responsibility is to figure out which foods are genetically modified in a way that I don't like and then not to purchase them. It's very simple. To me, I can always choose to buy something that grows in the ground, or I can choose to buy something that used to grow in the ground, but somebody else has done a lot of modification to. So I can buy hamburger. I can buy whole grain pasta. I have the choice of buying... So-called spinach pasta, when I look at the ingredients, there's blue dye, blue lake number 40, and yellow dye tartrazine number whatever. I can buy a pasta that actually has spinach in it. I have that absolute choice. So I think that the best that we can do is to make a decision that we intend to eat in a healthy way and then follow through with where we choose to spend our money. We can choose not to be victims. We can choose to take control over our own lives.
0: Dr. Grout, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today about your wonderful book, An Alphabet of Good Health in a Sick World. Anyone wanting to learn more about this award-winning book should visit the website, www.alphabetofgoodhealth.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back soon with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.